everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. I'm so excited because this week we have sci-fi and horror writer Tim Ahrens on the show. He told me all about the second book in his Dark Creatures series and the dark, intricate plot. You won't want to miss this. He told me how he got into horror around age 10, his love for universal monster movies, and why Gen Zers, and probably me, need to give the black and white horror classics a chance. He also told me how he got prepared to get inside the mind of one of his characters, who is a complete psychopath, and why he thinks that horror fans are also more grounded in tense situations. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review, it's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into this episode with Tim Ahrens. Hey Tim, how are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me on, Allison. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et cetera? Yes. My name is Tim Ahrens. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I've been writing for God since I was 14, so so over 40 years. I write dark fantasy novels. I also have a book of short stories called The Salvation of Tang Miguel. You can find all of this on my website at www.thedarkcreatures.com or on Amazon if you look me up. I also have two more books out. One is Dark Creatures, A Simple Game, and the other one is book two of that series, which is Dark Creatures, The Grand Game. That's awesome. So we will talk about your books in a little while, but first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, my favorite horror movie right now is Scary Stories Best Told in the Dark. Do you mean scary stories to tell in the dark? Oh, to tell in the dark, yeah. Yeah, it's the it's an anthology story. It's about a ghost that writes stories in a book. The Alvin Schwartz. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. I love I love those books. I have those. One of my friends gave gave me copies of them a couple of years ago. Awesome. Why is that one your favorite? Out of all the ones I've seen recently, it's the most unique. It's really well done. The show is really well produced. The acting is is spot on. Fairly fairly decently done. The buildup to the to the end is is fantastic. The ending is well written. It's fantastic. Um, there's enough suspense in the in the show to keep you you know on edge and, and glued to your TV. Awesome. So, how did you first fall in love with the horror genre and you know horror literature? Oh God, I fell in love with that when I was ten. <laughs> I started watching that stuff with my father at ten. We started watching. We usually take Friday nights or Saturday nights off. We'd sit down and we'd watch the old Universal Monster movies, like okay. Frankenstein or Dracula or the Wolfman. And we ended up watching those. And since they were more sympathetic towards the monsters in a lot of different cases, we'd end up, after the movie, talking about what about this or that or, or why the monster was this or what happened to him that way or how cruel society was. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's which, of course, started me reading. And I started quite a bit with Edgar Allan Poe. And I moved with into Stephen King. Larry Niven's got a bunch of, of, of good books out there. There's a whole bunch of, of, of stuff I've read over the years, along with fantasy, of course. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? It's the excitement. It's People love to be feel safe and yet scared. No one wants to be scared in a real situation. <laughs> it's not fun at all. <laughs> 
Yeah. But if if you could sit down and imagine yourself, like in say by dark fantasy novels, for instance, you imagine yourself in a situation that will frighten you, but now you're actually you have a possibility of being a hero, or you could actually take charge or do something that you know you could never do in real life. <laughs> You'd end up running. <laughs> Um, a good a good example of that would be I don't know how many people actually saw these commercials, but there's a, there was a Geico commercial out there for Halloween that uh, that played on that where you had a bunch of teenagers uh, being chased by a by a chainsaw wielding maniac. Let's go into the to the barn with all the chainsaws. No, let's go into the car that's not running. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so listen, it's a fun genre if you know you're safe in the back of your head, and that's what I think is the appeal to to horror. Is on one side, it's fun. To know that you you can feel you know that scared or that nervous and still know you're safe. And on the other side, in some cases, like when I write, it's also fun to be the villain because <laughs> <laughs> you know you're never going to do anything of this except in imagination, and that's where the fun part comes from. Who's your favorite horror villain? Oh God, I got a lot of favorite horror, <laughs> horror <laughs> villains. I would have to say Prince Prospero from The Mask of the Red Death with Vincent Price. Oh, I've never I've never heard of that or seen it, so I will have to look that up. I, I would suggest you do. If once you've seen what Prince Prospero is like, you'll see why he's my favorite film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. So what scares you nowadays in film and in real life? Scaring me is kind of really hard these days. <laughs> these days. I like a good ghost story that can add suspense. I'm not really, I mean, I like the genre, but I'm not really big into the axe murders or the, or the slasher films. Mm-hmm. That that won't scare me very much. It's fun to watch for the excitement value and stuff like that, or for, for the people sitting around you when you point at the screen going, they're dying next, they're going to use the axe to get, <laughs> drives people crazy. <laughs> Let's see, I think a good suspense film or horror, or horror film, like a ghost story or something like that will always catch my attention. As long as it's well written, was it, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, Tell to Toro. Guillermo de Toro. There Del you Toro. go. To yeah. Del Toro. There we are. He just came up with Cabinets of Curiosity on Netflix. Um, most of those are really good. I really enjoy a good night gallery. I don't know if you if you're some if you're if you're not familiar with any of the classics. <laughs> nope. No, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm really, really big into the Twilight Zone, the old black and white Twilight Zone. I do like series. that. I, yeah. I love Rod Serling's writings. I think he's a, he was a master writer. I kind of wish he'd lived longer. <laughs> I love uh, Night Stalker with Darren McGavin. As I said, I've, I've, I've into a lot of the classics. What really scares me in real life is that someone like my villain in my books, Doug Pimpkin, could actually be alive or exist. <laughs> so last May, you released a book called Dark Creatures, The Grand Game on mm-hmm. Atmosphere Press. Can you tell me about it and tell me about your villain? Oh, definitely. Grand Game is the second book in the Dark Creatures series. It takes place after the establishment of two people in the first game, the first book or the first game. The Grand Game is basically a game of gods, gods that have been forgotten over history or are no longer worshipped. They're in a, their own little dimension because they can't really affect the world to any extent anymore because there are other powers out there that, that don't want them to do that. So... <laughs> so what they do is they decide they play little games. They, they choose people at random in the close proximity, and then they'll, they'll play a game of chess, or they'll play a game of good versus evil, or something like that, just so that they're not noticed by the general public, or they're not discovered, for instance. Well, in the grand game, the simple game, which was the first book, started that way. The grand game means that they have a possibility of being discovered. This is not good. So what these guys now have to do is expand this game to the point where they can make it all look like a series of coincidental events. So they have to bring more players into the game 
more gods can enter the game, the game gets larger, it gets more complex. And then at the end of the game, they can wipe the whole thing out. A good example of that, of a grand game would be, as I put in one of my books, it would be Roanoke. If you've ever studied Roanoke, Virginia, you'll find in 1863, they established a colony there of 150 people. 1865, when they came back to check on them, there was not a soul left. Buildings still there, half of them taken apart, not a soul remained. (laughs) (laughs) So the grand game takes place with five players instead of two, which is in the first book. And then things get way out of hand because I add Thulu mythos into the book. I I usually write dark fantasy, so it's fantasy horror based. The gods that are taking place, that are playing the game as puppeteers are Circe, that's the goddess of magic in Greece mythology. You have the Januses, which is the god of present, gods of present, past, present, and future, which in the Romans are the Romans. There's a there's the Egyptian god of chaos, and then there's I am, which is a Cthulhu mythos god that I've I created. These are all controlling human characters in the real world. Then those human characters thus are now controlling characters in a fantasy world that they think they're playing a video game of. (laughs) So it's a a really complex plot. (laughs) Yeah. Where'd you come up with the idea for it? There were several different um, atmospheres or points that got me. One, the idea of the video game controlling people in real life through a video game came from ESO, Elder Scrolls Online. Okay. I used to play that quite a bit, and when I was playing that game one night, I was thinking, you know, what if this person, this character I created actually wasn't just a character? What if I'm actually directing this person <laughs> in the real world? That, that thought hit me really fun. The fantasy-based point of from the horror came from an anime I love to watch. It's called Bat Berserk. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's a swords and sorcery type anime where you're in an apocalyptic world and the main character who's a swordsman ends up trying to survive, basically, in a world full of monsters and demons that are always after him and trying to kill him. Um, so I, I tweaked that a little bit from the fantasy point in. I took the, the male swordsman out and I made the swordsman, swords, uh, swordsman a swordswoman. A sword woman. Her name is Augury Parse. And then I gave her a partner, which is Lilica Trevilian. She's a bard. But the people who exist within the fantasy world of dark creatures are not necessarily just human. So these characters are all anti-heroes. They're all doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so I can say so since we're in the book two, Augury, for instance, is a wraith. She's a spirit, uh, a, a um, possessive spirit, um, and Lilica is a succubus. Uh, then you have my human characters who think they're actually playing these video games that are being played by the gods. So that would be William. He's just a high schooler. You have Doug Pimpkin. He's a psychopath. And when I say he's a psychopath, I mean I wrote him as a psychopath. <laughs> I did quite a bit of studying of Dean, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy. I did a lot of studying on the myth. The psychology and the way that that all works in the sociopath into psychopath situation so yeah when you read Doug you're not gonna like him at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was gonna ask you how you got into the mind to write that character who's a psychopath but that makes total sense was it like a dark place to come out of every time you stopped writing that character did you have to like watch a comedy or something <laughs> Good point, but it does make you feel nervous <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, I actually, when I actually write, I visualize. So okay. even though I'm walking around in the skin of, say, Doug Pimpkin, who's, who's a, a psychopath, I'm actually watching it as I'm watching a movie. Okay. 
So it's easy to detach myself afterwards because it stays in the book. I can shut the book off and move on to something else. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so that's what a lot of happens what happens when uh, since I write a lot visually, I write quite a quite a bit in visually. So when you read my books, you'll be getting getting a, a up close and personal look at what's going on through the eyes of the character. Is there since this is the second book in the series, do you anticipate there being a third book? Oh yes. I'm gonna start right now in January. I've been spending some time publicizing or trying to trying to get in the books right now. I've already started the third book. It's called Dark Creatures Worlds of Ending. Um if I get enough support, I'll probably write a fourth book. Otherwise I'll move on to another character in the Dark Creatures series and start over again. Oh, that's so cool. It sounds like a very intricate plot. I have a friend who really likes anime and horror, so I will tell oh, her cool. about these books. Make sure you mention one that she'll probably really enjoy if she has to see it called Another. Okay. Yeah. It's a very unique plot line. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely will. So what is your favorite subgenre in horror movies? You said ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is- uh, there's ghosts. Uh, uh, as far as subgenres go, I love ghosts. I love monsters and all demons. They're all easily played with. You can have lots of fun with what made this person a ghost or, or how they react to people. Same thing with a monster. Like when you watch Frankenstein, is a monster evil or is he just misunderstood? Yeah. <laughs> demons I really I, you can have a lot of fun with too because you can change scenarios with a demon for instance there's a there was a game I was playing out there for a while called Neverwinter but they ask you to write plot lines for sometimes and I came up with a plot line with a friend of mine about a demon who fell in love with a human who got taken away by her father and even because he didn't like the union so the human enlists you the the adventurer to go find her not telling you that she's a demon he just says, well, my wife has been taken away. <laughs> so you can, you can play around with situations like that all sorts of ways. It's really yeah. fun. That's super cool. So are you're also big into playing horror video games, it sounds like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with that too. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Are there any that are actually scary? Oh, God, let's see. Silent Hill actually really is a, is, oh. a, is a great game when it comes to the creeps. It'll definitely give you the creeps. The writers do a great job, like like Revelations, I think, or, or uh, when you were the you were the soldier in the game. I can't remember exactly what the name of the silent uh, the Silent Hill version of that was, but you you come up to a door and you're talking to some person behind the door that you don't see for hints, and she sounds like she's just this really creepy person. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. The Silent Hill movies, uh, games, they did a great job with those. What do you think um, of the movies, the Silent Hill movies? Do you want my honest opinion? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm a little disappointed. I thought um, that the whole coven, witch coven thing and stuff like that was overused. Okay. When they decided to do that. No, this is my own, mind you, my own opinion. I'm, I don't want to offend anyone who loves those movies. I apologize if I do. I thought they could have been a wider scope. I thought they could have done a better job than, like I did in the video games, a much wider scope. The only problem I had with, the, the big problem I had with the first one was that, they did the same. They had the same mistake that I've run into occasionally. They wrote a character so well that when they finally decided to try to get rid of that character, they did it in the worst possible way. <laughs> okay. Um, have you seen the first film? I haven't. I those I can never find it streaming anywhere, and I haven't wanted to rent it yet. So that is okay. On Would my you list. like me to tell you what I'm talking about as far as no, characters go? No, no, no. Okay. Don't spoil. Okay. It. <laughs> All right. That's why it I thought does... I'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The movie looks really creepy and atmospheric. So. I'm looking forward to watching it, but I, I've also never played the game. So, oh, okay. Yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, the the the, the atmosphere, the special effects are all great. The acting is really well done. I just thought that the people who wrote the plot could have expanded it a little bit more than what okay. they did. Hmm, that makes sense. That's um, the writer in me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, who are your favorite horror directors and horror writers? Um, well, I like King. King's really good. Del Toro is one of my favorites. He does a fantastic job with his horror genres. Um, Clive Barker is really fun with the Hellraiser series is also really fun. As far as directors go, unfortunately, I don't know a lot of them. I know a lot of titles, but I don't know a lot of directors. I know Del Toro because I've seen several of his movies and he stands out. Yeah. Especially, and I just saw Cabinets of Curiosity, which also brings him to mind. <laughs> yeah, totally. I haven't watched that yet. I've only seen one Oh, well, I've seen Pan's Labyrinth and I've seen, he also, he, well, he worked on Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yes. Did he direct mm-hmm. it? Yes. I think he directed it, yeah. Okay, yeah. So those are the only two movies of his that I've seen. I like Scary Stories. I did not like Pan's Labyrinth. Do not come for me, internet. But, so I haven't watched Cabinet of Curiosities yet because mm. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like it. <laughs> It's actually, it's a mixed bag. It depends on who wrote the short stories. Some of them make a lot of sense and are fun. And some of them you're kind of going, why did they end it that way? <laughs> so, um, okay. But you know, that's, that's with any story that yeah. you work on. Some, sometimes it'll click and sometimes it won't. Right. I, would, I would recommend that you're a big horror fan. I would definitely recommend you go back and watch um, Night Gallery. It it's, was done, done in the late 70s, early 80s. It's or actually it was that's when I saw it. It was done. <laughs> it was done when Serling was still alive, so it had to have been the sixties. But yeah, it does the same thing. Del Toro's work for *Kind of the Curiosities* was a lot was more of a homage to *Night Gallery*. I don't know if you if you read that particular part from from his interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, *Night Gallery* has starts with Rod Serling telling you an introduction to a painting, and then the painting goes into the story. It's actually really well done. Okay, cool. Yeah, maybe I'll give, I'll just give the first one a try and see. Sure, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so an article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? We're not necessarily afraid of the future so much that, that, that a lot of people are. <laughs> we fa- I mean, horror fans tend to face their fear more than a lot of other people do. And, and the lockdowns, all, to me at least, since I'm a big horror fan, always seem more like surreal. It's more like you've seen it in the movie. <laughs> you know, so this big pandemic, people, were, there, there were several people, for instance, I talked on Facebook who were waiting for the next zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, people, although people took the, the COVID seriously, they didn't really take the whole situation, I should say, panicked seriously. That's, that's how I would put it. More, they have more of a grasp on, if it doesn't come after me directly, I'm going to wait and observe like I do with my horror movies <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> Totally. So I think I think they're more grounded. Horror, horror, movie, horror movie people, or people who love horror, are more grounded in that type of situation. As I said, in real life, you're, you're going to respond differently to situations you would when you're watching a horror film. But since there was no, how do I put this? When you're watching a horror film, there's an immediate threat. There's always an immediate, whether it be a viral a threat or a monster threat. COVID was almost, as I said, almost surreal. All you, you got from it, you could catch it, true, but all you got from it was the news, what the news was telling you or what someone else was. You didn't really have a whole lot of firsthand experience with it unless you got it or unless it, 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 you contracted it. So it's almost like it was surreal, in my opinion, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a great answer. How did How you, you feel about it? <laughs> I feel like horror, horror movie fans were just like, 
There are no zombies. Nobody's oh. trying to kill me. So I can just stay home and watch horror movies. This is great. <laughs> and I think, well, yeah, I think we expose ourselves to a lot of situations that are way worse than just having to stay inside. Not saying that people dying in great numbers isn't no. terrible. But like yeah. you said, it's it like until it affected you personally, it, you, it was just something you saw on the news. Yeah, we tend to be homebodies. <laughs> so how do you decide what horror movie to watch when you're just hanging out and looking for something to watch? I scan. I'll scan a whole bunch of, of stuff. And what plot strikes me is, is the one I'll watch. I, I don't start out. Usually I don't start looking for something. I'll mm-hmm. just, you know, I'll plug something like horror into Netflix or something like that. And I'll pan down to see what what's what what grabs me a good example of that was jeepers creepers didn't it was something that just just grabbed me at one point i don't know if you ever saw that movie or yeah. not yeah i did i'm taking that genre into account jeepers creepers 2 is the best okay. one is okay its ending was a little what as i said before like doTERRA was a little why did they end it that way <laughs> but two is the best two is fantastic the okay. ending is just great are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again oh well, it's not really a horror movie per se, but I won't watch from Dust Till Dawn, for instance. <laughs> How come? That's a prejudice on my part, unfortunately. Back when it first came out in the theaters, my, my brain's failing me. What the director was... Oh, come on. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Oh, well, it'll come to me. The director came out and said that it was a very serious... Quentin uh, very Tarantino. Dark... Tarantino, thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> came out and said it was a very dark, very serious horror movie done in the classic style. So I went in there all revved up for that. It's not, but it is <laughs> not what it is. <laughs> yeah, it. I've never seen it because it looks like an action movie and it doesn't look like. It's more of a spoof. Okay. It's more of a spoof on horror films. Okay. So when I went in there all excited about that, that's what I got. In which case, I, yeah. it hit, I hit the floor really hard <laughs> with that one. I was really upset. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I, I won't go back to see that one, for instance. I like Tarantino's work, though, don't get me wrong. He does a really nice job of the, the Hateful Eight. If, for instance, it's just, it's funner than Hack, but <laughs> I don't want disper- to disparage his name or anything like that. <laughs> Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? I've seen drive-ins. I've had fun, fun noteworthy experiences seeing stuff in drive-ins when I was a kid, which yeah. is how old I am. <laughs> For instance, the, the first time that they share, they showed Friday the 13th, the original the original movie. Mm-hmm. We were sitting with, in a car with a bunch of friends of mine, and I was driving them insane with that because I'd say, well, this person is about to be killed with this axe in five minutes. Wow! <laughs> this is about to be killed with this, this and, and ten minutes. Wow! <laughs> it got to the point where my, car, they, my friends were starting, shut up! Just shut up! Just quit talking! <laughs> uh, see <yeah. laughs> I had some great times in that stuff. <laughs> oh, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> what has your favorite horror movie been so far that you've seen in 2022? I think yeah, I still think the the scary stories when I mentioned was, would would be the the most. I haven't seen any up to date horror films yeah. recently yet, and and I haven't caught a lot that really grabbed me in 2022. Horror series, as I said, Del Toro series of Cabinets of Curiosity. I don't mean to keep mentioning it was 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 fair. Uh, that's, the, that's the most modern one I've seen so far. I'm, I'm more into the classics or I go back in the 2000, uh, 2018 or 2019 or something like that, but I haven't seen any 2022 stuff. There were a couple that I had I have seen that I can recommend or at least uh, at least look into anyway. Okay. Mr. Harrigan's Phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did like that. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I want to see Black Phone. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I really want to see that one. Yes. 
I did see that. It was good, but it's not that scary. So I, I, that's true. From the, the intro, I actually like the way they wrote it. Okay. From the commercials I've seen, the premise is fantastic. Just from, yeah. just from the, the imagination of the way they wrote it with the, with, with the phone and then the ghost talking to the kid through the phone. That was fantastic. That was funner yeah. than heck. Have you, read, <laughs> have you read Joe Hill's story that it's based on? No, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I think you can, if you just search it, you can find a PDF of it online. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I think it's only like 11 pages or something like that. Oh, it's a short story then. Yeah, it's a short story. Yeah. Are there any horror movies that you like that people generally don't like? Unfortunately, the younger, uh, and I can say this because I'm 57, (laughs) (laughs) the younger younger generation doesn't have, in my, my personal opinion, an appreciation of the black and whites for the 40s, 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah in a lot of cases I'll talk to people about black and white movies black and white horror movies not necessarily universal but there are a lot of tons of other black and white films out there and most reactions I get from people who are 17 and 18 it's black and white <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the older films don't I don't think seem to get the appreciation from the younger younger viewers now than I think yeah. I think people should really open themselves up to some of that stuff even if even the spoofier ones like you know, giant gila monster <laughs> or something like that is fun <laughs> Cool. I actually saw there's a huge cathedral around the corner from me and they showed oh. Nosferatu uh, oh, cool. on Halloween, Halloween weekend. So that, that was cool. The movie was cheesy, but yeah, it was fun to see. It, yeah, it was 1931. So what could you yeah. do? <laughs> I'll give them a pass. Yeah, I, I actually got a chance to see Creature from the Black Lagoon and Phantom of the Opera in, oh, cool. in the big screen lately from Fandango. So. Oh, fun. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, if you get a chance to see some of these these classics, I'd recommend your audience actually do open up and, and look at some of them. They are fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will try. I'm pretty much mostly favorable to horror movies that were made in like the 90s and forward. Oh, okay. But I try I try to expand my mind every now and then, but just not 80s horror because I don't like 80s horror. No, you don't like the hack and spy stuff? <laughs> no, I don't. It's so cheesy and the acting is so bad. I know, but it can be a little fun. <laughs> All right, I get it. <laughs> if, if you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? Ooh, there are a lot of them out there, too. If I could remake a movie, I'd probably want to remake Hellraiser. How come? There's there's so much more you can do with the Cenobites mm-hmm. that they don't do. And, I mean, Barker did quite a bit of work later on in later, a, lot of, a lot of other films. But uh, I still think you could do a lot more with the Cenobites and what they do in the world in general. Because I don't think necessarily that just that girl or the people who are tortured by the one on one at a time is the whole story of everything. Like, um, for instance, I like to go back and find out where they came from or how they uh, how they okay. metamorphed into what they were or what what their backgrounds were as far as where they live or what their their you know the the world around them is like. All sorts of stuff like that. I'd like I'd love to, have to go back and read something like that. Oh, cool! Did you watch the reboot of Hellraiser that came out? Right sure. now it's on Hulu and I don't have Hulu, so I'm oh. waiting for it to come to another 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 station that it's not Hulu. <laughs> it's not Hulu. Okay, cool. I haven't watched it yet, but I hear interesting things. So I've heard good and bad reports about it. Yeah. Some people who are classic purists, I should say, are really upset with the girl version of the, the Hell's Priest. I don't really care if she's if he's a male or a female, although I like the guy who plays him in the regular movies. He does a great job with it. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see what they did with it. Sure, I'd be more than interested. Um, the only time I'll get a, be a, get to be a purist is when situations 
in my opinion, are stretched too far. Like, I don't believe there were too many black plantation owners in the 1800s, but Netflix or who I forget who came up with the interview with the vampire decided to make their main character black. The race doesn't bother me. It's the fact that the race that they're that he's a plantation owner. Historically, to me, I don't think it's right that, that the, too many black people were actually plantation owners who owned slaves. <laughs> yeah, that that makes sense. I've only seen Interview with the Vampire once, so I don't I don't even recall that character. So my last question is: If you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be from either a oh. book or a movie? Oh, <laughs> horror villain! Oh, that'd have to be Prince Prospero. He'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> What's he from? He's from Masquerade of the Red Death. It's a Roger Corbin oh. film. It's in done in the sixties. So you're going to find it, it to be a slightly cheesy because it's it's Corman. I don't know if you know much about Roger Corman, but he has a lot of fun with his horror movies. But okay. he does a lot of he does a really good job. It's called it's part of a series called the Poe series of, of, of movies he did. And yeah, Prospo is just he's just got an out, interesting outlook on life. He's a Satanist. Hmm. He believes in the that the, the, the devil killed God a long time ago. So the devil's the one in charge of the world. And he's also a prince of an entire region. So it's, it's, if you watch him in the movie, you'll see Vincent Price does a fantastic job of portraying him. He's just so much fun. Oh. that He'd come up with so many things that you could do that you would normally think <laughs> of doing when you were in lockdown. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, I will have to see where I can stream that movie so I can check him out. But thank you so much for being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can buy your books? Definitely. And again, Alison, thank you very much again for having me on your show. I definitely appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can find my work on my website, which is www.thedarkcreaturesalloneword.com. You'll also find some work on my short stories that I've done over the years in case you're interested in seeing what type of of genre I write in or how I write to see if you're interested in buying the book before you do. Um, you can also buy my book at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. All my books are there and and wherever other good books are sold, I want to see. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the interview. Thank you very much, Allison. It's always fun talking to people who know the horror, horror genre. <laughs> yeah, totally. Have a good one. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tim Ahrens, and thanks again to Tim for coming on. I'll leave links to his website and where you can buy his books in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's There Podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or if you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at whostherepc at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get boosted.